Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe this message will encourage you, it will inspire you, and it'll help you live the supernatural lifestyle of faith. We want you to live this supernatural lifestyle of faith, not have supernatural moments, but have it as a lifestyle. So we put all of this content out for you to receive so you can grow and live the life that Jesus made available for you. To find more information about our ministry and our resources, you can visit us at FCCGA.com or you can download our Faith Plus app. Our Faith Plus app has thousands of hours of faith building content and it's available in your app store right now. Open your heart. God's going to share something special to you through this message. So let's go to 1 John chapter 2, do a brief review, and we're going to continue our study tonight. 1 John chapter 2. Pick up with verse 1. It says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So one of the things that John is sharing here, notice he says, my little children. Remember, John is John the Elder by this point. He is the last living apostle that walked with Jesus. He is the elder of the church. Some scholars believe he's in his 90s at this point. And as he is sharing these things, he's writing as a spiritual father, person who walked with Jesus, pouring into his spiritual children. And he says, my little children, I'm writing to you that you may not sin. Of course, we already know the context as we already looked into 1 John chapter 1 while he was writing. But then he says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate. And we said last week that the word advocate means one who argues the case of another, one who pleads another's cause, and one who helps another by defending or speaking in their defense. He says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And then he continues on and goes in verse 2. And says, he himself is the propitiation, which means the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Go on to verse 3. Notice what he says next. I'll read from the Amplified Classic Edition. And says, this is how we may discern daily by experience that we are coming to know him, to perceive, recognize, understand, and become better acquainted with him. If we keep, bear in mind, observe, practice his teachings, precepts, and commandments. Remember one of the things we said about the epistle of 1 John, that John has this style of amplification. And so he'll cover topics and then he'll circle back to that topic and provide more insight to it. And so this is, of course, amplifying what he was addressing in 1 John chapter 1. So remember one of the reasons why John is writing is he's addressing believers who are dealing with pressure from people who left their church when after a new doctrine is coming back to them saying they have a superior teaching that is against the core foundations of Jesus. We cover that in part two. And if you missed part two, you, you can find it on our podcast as well as on our Faith Plus app. And so now he's writing back. He says, here's how you know those who really know Jesus. This is how you know who, those who have fellowship with him, as we said, who have a close, intimate relationship and partnership with him. And so he amplifies it by saying, this is how we discern daily by experience that we are coming to know Jesus and to perceive, recognize, understand, and become better acquainted with him. Here's how we know that. If we keep, bear in mind, observe, and practice his teachings, his precepts, and his commandments. That's how we know that we know him and that we're knowing him even better because we're doing what he instructed us to do. So a lot of the people who left those believers in uh, what is modern-day Turkey, a lot of those who left that those believers and those uh, groups and those churches, and they began to live after another way, and they claimed a form of Christianity. But 
they would they had some very troubling heretical and against bible beliefs you know some of them believed that jesus wasn't human or that he only appeared human that he he was in uh he seemed human that's where one of the names came from he seemed human but uh, there's another group that was connected to it that believed that anything material was evil uh and anything spiritual was not and so with that belief that af absolutism that they had they believed that you know there's really nothing you could do that could you know affect your spirit so they were very loose in their living they were very sinful in their living and they you know rejected everything that jesus taught to do and what his disciples and apostles taught and they began to live these wild lives and say well nothing can really affect my spirit and so john is writing to them says here's how you know those who really know jesus they're doing what he said and we covered it before that jesus said those who love me actually do what i say and so John is amplifying these things. So let's go to verse four and keep going forward. Verse four, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So remember, John is not just writing a random letter. He's writing on purpose. So you know, there are people who are coming to this belief, oh, I know Jesus, I really know him. I, I have an intimate relationship with him. I have this intimate friendship with him. I know him. But John said, there are people who said, I know him, but they're not doing what he says. They're liars and the truth is not in them. And so he is clarifying and bringing clarity and understanding to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in this area that is dealing with this attack of philosophy and attack of lifestyle. But he says in verse five, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And so this word perfected means complete. And so it's like painting the picture of being mature. This love is growing up. We're all in the process of growing up and maturing spiritually. And here's how we know that we're not just following a bunch of rules. Yes, there are rules and commands we are to follow. But as we're in this relationship with Jesus, following these rules, guess what? That love is growing in us. That love is completing in us. And so he's painting a picture that was different. And he says, hey, the love is being completed in us, but I'll let you know the love is not being completed in them because they're not doing what he says. Let's keep going. By this, we know we are in him. And this is something that John will revisit more and more in this letter and we'll circle back to it when John brings it up again. But he says, but this, we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked and so with believers we know that we are in christ we are in christ jesus when you want a great study of who you are in christ go through the new testament especially the letters from some in him in whom in christ that's who you are and so when we look at this we have to understand remember john wrote first john second john third john after the gospel of john and so to get further insight to what john is talking about we should go back to the gospel of john so let's do that because this phrase abide in him comes from what Jesus told them at the last supper he had into the Garden of Gethsemane. It's one of the last messages he poured into his close followers. You see that in John 14, 15, and 16, and the prayer in John 17. So let's go to John 15 and see what John's referring to. He says, well, those who say they abide in him because he's quoting Jesus. So John chapter 15. John 15. Look at verse one, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser or the husbandman or the farmer. Now we picture God the father in many different ways, but in this way, Jesus sharing, he says, the father is like a farmer and I'm the vine. Every branch in me 
that does not bear fruit, he takes away. The phrase takes away is a farming term, which means he takes that vine, he lifts it up higher so it's close to the sun, he, he, what it needs from the sun, and pairs it with a fruitful branch. That's what it means to take away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. The word prune, of course, translated purge or, clean, or cleanses it. Why does he prune it? that it may bear more fruit. You have to understand that if you're fruitful, God wants you to bear more fruit. If you're not fruitful, he wants you to bear fruit. And if you're fruitful, he wants you to bear more fruit. So go ahead, say it out loud, put it in the chat. Say, God wants me to bear fruit. Come on, say it out loud, put it in the chat. Let's pause here a moment. Say, God wants me to bear fruit. So whether you're watching live, via replay, or listening on podcasts, I want you to say it out loud or put it in the chat. God wants me to bear fruit. God wants you to bear fruit fruit. That's what he wants you to do. That's what he wants you to walk in. He wants you to be fruitful. And one of the things you see in the gospels, you said he wants you to have fruit that remains. God wants you to bear fruit. It's important to him. And so those who are connected to Jesus or abide in Jesus who are not bearing fruit, God's going to do some things to help you bear fruit. It says he lifts them up and he pairs them with somebody who's bearing fruit. And so he'll bring supernatural relationships into your life so that you can bear fruit that remains. And if you're bearing fruit, he's going to prune you, purge you, or clean you. Now, when you get to verse three, it says you are already clean. That's the same word for pruned or purged. And so he's not sending bad things in your life to purge you. He's not sending bad things in your life to prune you. Well, how does he prune you? Jesus continues and says, you are already clean or pruned because of the word which I've spoken to you. So the father prunes us by his word. And so when he wants to take us up to another level, he wants to increase our fruitfulness. He sends more work. He sends his word to correct us, to instruct us, to reprove us, to build us up, to comfort us, and to encourage us. This word also prunes us. Then notice what Jesus says here in verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. So he says, abide in me. And this is the same word we see in 1 John 2, and we'll see later in the book of 1 John. Abide in me, that means remain in me, dwell in me live in me or stay connected to me, continue connected to me. And I'm going to do the same in you. That's what Jesus says. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide or stay vitally connected to me, as I believe it says in the Amplified Classic Edition. Now think about it this way, just for a vine that's producing grapes. As long as the branch is connected to the main vine, that branch is going to produce. But if that branch is disconnected, it's not going to receive the nutrients that the main vine has. And eventually that branch will not be able to produce. So Jesus is using this agricultural example to say, hey, you're only going to bear fruit if you stay connected to me. He goes on and says in verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Notice who said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who lives, dwells, abides, remains connected to me, and I in him bears much fruit. And that's our goal, to bear much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And so he makes it very clear. He says, you can't do anything without me. He says, well, I thought I could do some stuff without him. But guess what? Eventually, that will become nothing. It will not be the fruit that God wants, and it won't be the fruit that remains. And so without him, in context, without staying connected to him, without continuing connected to him, everything you do will become nothing or will be worth nothing. 
And Jesus doesn't want you to live a life that doesn't produce anything, or if it produces something, it doesn't produce anything worth anything. He wants you to produce fruit that remains. Well, how long should it remain? Your entire life, and it should follow you into eternity. That's the type of fruit Jesus wants you to produce. It's the type of fruit the Father wants you to produce. Notice what it says next. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. And so people say, oh, that's kind of harsh that, you know, God cast somebody out. But no, notice the context. It says, if anyone does not abide in me. So notice that, notice it. It is that person's decision not to abide. It is that person's decision not to continue. It's that person's decision not to do what it takes to stay connected. So go and say out loud and put it in the chat, say, it's that person's decision. Go ahead, put it in the chat, say it out loud. Listen to a podcast later, I want you to say it out loud too. Say, it's that person's decision. It's not the father's decision. It's that person's decision. It's that individual's decision. If that person does not remain connected, if they don't make that personal decision to stay connected, what are they like? They are like a branch that is separated from the vine. And what happens when that branch is separated from the vine? It withers. And what happens with withered branches? They throw it away or they throw it into the fire. Withered branches are good for being thrown away or becoming fuel to keep something more. And so God doesn't want you to be withered. Because withered Christianity is useless and worthless. It produces nothing. God does not want us to have withered Christianity. Go ahead, say it out loud, put it in the chat, say, God does not want us to have withered Christianity. Say it out loud, put it in the chat, say, God does not want us to have withered Christianity. Sure, there's tons of people who have withered Christianity. There's tons of people who believe in withered Christianity. But the Father does not want you to have withered Christianity. He wants you to have a Christianity that is alive, that flows with life from your relationship, your intimate friendship, your partnership, your fellowship with Jesus. He wants your Christianity to produce. He wants you to be fruitful. That's what the Father wants. He said, oh, I wonder what God wants me to do with my life. Be fruitful produce. It even goes back to the garden. What did he tell us? What is the first words mankind ever heard? It was the blessing. He says, be blessed. And after that, he says, be fruitful and multiply. And so it's still, the, it's in the father's mind from when he created humanity. He wants us to be blessed and he wants us to produce. He wants us to be fruitful and have fruit that remains. Notice what says next. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. So that's something different. Now, what are you saying? Well, how do we get Jesus' words to abide in us, to stay in us? Well, that means we continually need to be in the word. We need to continue to put ourselves in position to hear the word, to see the word, to speak the word. We need to continually deposit the word in our heart as it tells us a psalm. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word hit means to deposit. We need to continually deposit the word in our heart on a regular basis. And what happens if we stay connected to Jesus and we let his word dwell in our heart and we keep it in our heart? Notice what it says. You will ask for what you desire or you will ask for what you want and it shall be done for you. Notice that. You'll be able to ask for whatever you want. So what if I want something wrong? Well, no, no, no. If you stay connected and you let his word dwell in you at a high level, dwell in you, as it says in the Colossians, with all wisdom. If you let it dwell into you that one, you're not going to have the wrong desire. You're not going to ask for the wrong desire. 
you can ask for what lines up with the word of God because the word of God is God's will. And if you remain connected and you keep the word in your heart and from the place of relationship, you'll know exactly what to ask and how to ask. And whatever you ask for, it will be yours. And John goes back to this point in 1 John chapter 5. This is how you have confidence when you pray. But if you're not praying based on the word and you're not praying from a place of relationship, your prayers are kind of scattered. And he wonders, oh, I don't know. You know, I don't know what's going to pass. Well, I prayed about it. Would you pray according to word? I think so. Well, did you listen to the Holy Spirit while you pray? Well, maybe. And so what happens, you have no confidence in your praying. And what's what happens when what you pray for doesn't come to pass? Your faith is hurt. And now you don't know if faith really works. And you're nervous the next time you try to use your faith because what you didn't pray for, what you pray for didn't come to pass. But if you want what you pray for to come to pass concerning the things that you want, you need to walk in intimate friendship with Jesus and keep his word in your heart. And then whatever you ask, be given to you. It will be done for you. And I remember Dad Hagen sharing that he was reading after a Greek scholar who says this phrase here, it, it implies that whatever it is, God will take care of. And it says this Greek word was so strong and powerful that it meant that even if it doesn't exist, he'll make it for you. That's a wonderful promise. Walk with him, live with him, stay in friendship with him. Let that word overflow out of your heart. Whatever you ask, is yours. Let's keep going. Let that sink in as we keep going. By this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit. So he circles back to the idea of bearing fruit because God is glorified when you bear a lot of fruit. Yeah, you can bear a little fruit, but if you want God to receive glory and we all want him to receive glory, we need to bear a lot of fruit. You know, one of the ways I pray, you know, I pray the Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3 prayer on a regular basis. And we get to the end of Ephesians chapter 3. You know, one of the things I say, Father, give yourself glory in us and through us in this day, this age, and every day and age to come. Now, how's one of the ways that he can give himself glory through us? Or one of the ways we give glory to him? Being fruitful and having fruit that remains. Being fruitful gives God glory. So oh, I want to glorify God. So I'm going to praise him. I'm going to sing to him. I'm going to exalt his name. All that is good and scripture. And you should do that. But if you really want to glorify God, bear fruit and have fruit that remains. So say it out loud. Put it in the chat. Say, when I bear fruit, I glorify God. Say it out loud. Put it in the chat. Say, when I bear fruit, I glorify God. One more time. Say it out loud. Put it in the chat. Say, when I bear fruit, I glorify God. Praise God. Let's keep going. As the Father loved me, Jesus says, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Here's something different that he just came to. Okay, cool. Remain in me. Stay connected to me. Live in me. But also live in my love. Stay in my love. Stay connected to my love. That if you're going to walk in intimate friendship with God, you're going to have to know how much he loves you. And you're going to see this so much as we go further in First John, that you have to dwell, live, and abide in God's love. Notice Jesus adds on to it, says, if you, if you keep my commandments, abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. He says, I live in the Father's love. And he says, you'll live in my love if you do what I say. So, so think of the commands of Jesus. The commands in the New Testament, the things Jesus commanded us in the Gospels, and the things he commanded us about the Holy Ghost as we go through the letters in the New Testament. The things are commands as New Testament believers. If we do those commands, guess what we're doing? 
we're living in the love of God. We're living and not just, okay, I have to love people. No, no, no. We're living in the experiential love of God. And we're able to love people the way God loves us because we understand from the scripture, his love is poured out in our heart. So the love is in us, but guess what? So wherever you're watching from, you're in, you're in somewhere. You might be in your car. You might be in your office at work. You might be in your house. You are in somewhere. And so guess what? That room is around you. This room I, I'm in, I'm in the room. The room is surrounding me. And so picture it this way. The, the, love, you, the love is living in you. And you're living in the love. The love is living in you. And you're living in the love. I'm living in this room. I'm in this room right now. You're living in whatever room you're in. You're in that room where there's also something in you. And so notice what is offered to us is to have so much of this love of God that lives in us and we live in the love. So we're completely surrounded by the love of God. We're completely surrounded by the love of God. We should experience the love of God on a regular basis. Jesus commands us, said, abide in me, stay connected and abide in my love. Just like I lived in my father's love, he says, I want you to live in my love. And the way you do that is by doing what I say. And we'll get to these, you know, one of the things, especially next week, we'll, because it talks more about the first John 2 and John circles back to it. How do we do this? And how is the commands of Jesus connected to living in his love? And notice it's an example. Jesus said the same way I did it is how I want you to do it. We'll get to that in a moment. Verse 11 says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy remain in you, that your joy may be full. So now Jesus almost there's something else I want to live in you. Something else I want to remain in you, stay. Joy, not just any joy, my joy. So you got to think about the joy of Jesus. Now, we, you know, we talk about the joy of the Holy Ghost, but remember, it's the joy of Jesus. The joy of Jesus. Let that sink in. Jesus says, I want my joy to live in you. And you know what's so powerful about Jesus' joy? His joy motivated him and kept him during his time. How do you know that? Go with me to Hebrews 12. We'll come back to uh, John and Mom. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. The joy. Hebrews chapter 12, the joy of Jesus. So go ahead and say that loud. Put it in the chat. Say the joy of Jesus. Go ahead and put that in the chat. Say the joy of Jesus. Wherefore seen, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, wherefore seen, we're also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising or thinking little of the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. You have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. So Jesus endured the cross because of joy. Well, what was his joy? You and me. He saw us on the other side. And he had joy because 
of us. And the, he says, I want my joy to stay in you because it's joy. Yes, peace is keeping power, but that joy and peace is connected. That joy will keep you even in hard times. That joy will help you endure even when things are tough because you know there's something on the other side of the storm. There's something on the other side of the trial. There's something on the other side of the pressure. It's what you're after. And this joy kept Jesus. And she said, I want my joy to be in you. And so he goes on as we covered in you know, studying this book so far. He says, I'm writing this to you that your joy may be full. And she said, I'm telling you these things about remaining connected to me that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So this lets us know that if joy can be full, joy can be on empty. Joy can be, you, got, you can have a quarter of a tank of joy. You can have a tank of joy or you can be full of joy. So the question to ask yourself, what is your joy level tonight? And so what Jesus told them in John 15 and also we told them in John 14 and what he would continue on in John 16 is so that their joy may be full. And the apostle John writing almost 60 years later is writing to these believers, I'm writing this to you, that your joy may be full. And we know now that that joy is the same joy of Jesus. It is the joy of the Holy Ghost. Remember, the kingdom of God is not me to drink, but it's righteous peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So this whole kingdom, the way God operates, is the joy of God, is the joy of the Holy Ghost. C.S. Lewis said it this way, he says, joy is the serious business of heaven. He said, joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy. It's important. It's more than just being happy. On the inside, it's knowing. It's a rejoicing. It's a gladness. It's stronger than a happiness. It's this joyfulness on the inside that keeps you going, even in tough times. So these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, that your joy may be full. Let's keep going. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 2. Let's look at verse 6 a moment. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. He who says he abides in him, and we'll look at that and we'll look at it later when John circles back and amplifies on this topic. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to, to walk just as he walked. As we cover in the series, that word walk or that phrase to walk is a Jewish idiom, which means to live. He says those who say they abide in him or connected to him, should live just like Jesus lived. And as Jesus told us in John 15, we're to follow his example. Now we see that all throughout the scriptures. Well, so let's look at the example. And he says, you know, you should keep my commandments just like kept my father's commandments. Well, what did Jesus say about that? In John 4, verse 34, he says, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's how Jesus did it. John 8, 29 says, and he who sent me is with me. The father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. I want to read that again. Notice the confidence of Jesus. Notice this, notice this, notice this. John 8, 29, and he who sent me is with me. The father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. And so Jesus knows the father's with him all the time. And guess what? You need to know that Jesus is with you all the time. By the person of the Holy Spirit, he's with you. Because he told us, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. How? I will send you the comforter. One of the things we all see through the book of Acts is how Jesus was with his church then, and he's still with his church 
now. And so if we're going to remain connected to him, we need to be able to say and believe that Jesus sent us, so he's with us. He will never leave us alone. And you know what my goal in life is? To always do the things that please him. Why? Because we want to stand before him here, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And so this is our goal, to follow the example of Jesus. So say it this way. Say, Jesus sent me, and he's with me. So something you can say every day. Say, Jesus sent me, and he's with me. I remember back in 2004, it was a convention, and Pastor Mark Hankins was speaking at our convention at our church in Southfield. And he preached a message called Sent by the Holy Ghost. And, you know, he preached it from Acts chapter 13, verse 1 through 4, and went through different scriptures. And he kept emphasizing about when you're sent, and whoever sent you has to back you up. And the thing is, he has to back you up. He's got to pay the bills. He's got to support you. He's got to help you. And any time for years, and when I would run into a tough season, I knew I was in the season because this is where God wanted me to be. When I knew I was in a tough season, I'd play that message. And so back then, I had this alarm clock that would uh, wake up to a, C a CD. It was a CD player alarm clock. And so I would wake up to that message every day. I was reminding myself, I've been sent by the Holy Ghost. I'm in this place because I was sent by the Holy Ghost. I'm in this season because I was sent by the Holy Ghost. So even though it seems tough, although all the stuff is going on, I'm sent by this Holy Ghost and the season is not forever. I'm going to win because I was sent by the Holy Ghost. If he sent you, he's with you and he will never leave you alone. Say, he will say, Jesus will never leave me alone. Say, Jesus will never leave me alone. No matter how you feel, what you're going through, you are not by yourself. The enemy will lie to you and say, you are by yourself. Or because you messed up too much, you know, Jesus don't want, doesn't want anything to do with you. Or he's not going to uh, manifest himself to you. No, 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 no. Jesus is with you. And he'll never leave you alone. He's closer than your next prayer. He's closer than your breath. He's with you. And what is our goal? To always do the things that please him. So say it out loud and put it in the chat. Say, my goal is to always do the things that please him. Say it out loud and put it in the chat. Say, my goal is to always do the things that please him. Praise God. So go back to 1 John chapter 2 and begin to bring this to a close. One of the things that Jesus said in John 14, 29, you'll see in the notes, John 14, 29, 31, get into the thinking, the motivation of Jesus. One of the things we see the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 5 and 1 Corinthians 11, we're to imitate God, we're to imitate Jesus. And we see 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, it says, he who abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So we are to live the way he lived. Now, if we're to live the way he lived, then it should make sense. We should get his results. Right? If that makes sense, go ahead and put it in the chat. Say, that makes sense. If that makes sense to you, go ahead and put it in the chat. Say, that makes sense to me. If we are to live the way Jesus lived, we should get Jesus' results. If we are to live the way Jesus lived, we should get his results. You say, well, is that Bible? Yeah, it is. John 14, 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, 
the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. Let me say it again. John 14, verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. And in context, what was the work? It was the miracles. He was talking about the miracles, the miracles that he did. Our lives should be miraculous. Go ahead, say that. I'm putting in the chat. Say, our lives should be miraculous. Our lives should be miraculous. If we follow the example of Jesus and live the way he lived, we should get his results, which means we should be doing miracles just like Jesus, because Jesus said, we'll do what he did and greater because he's going to his father. And so God wants every single believer to have a miraculous life. I call it the supernatural lifestyle of faith. He wants miracles to fill our life. Not just so we can say, oh, I had a miracle. That's fine. Oh, that was great. You know, that was miraculous for me. No, 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 no. Because look at the miracles of Jesus. A lot of his miracles were about other people. Yes, he had miracles that he personally benefited from. You see that in the Gospels. But his miracles were about others. And if our lives are miraculous, it's being a blessing to others. And what happens if our lives are miraculous? It's being a blessing to others. We're bearing fruit. And we'll get into a place where we'll bear much fruit and have fruit that remains. If we live the lifestyle of Jesus, we'll bear much fruit, we'll have fruit that remains, we'll live in his love, our joy, his joy will be in us and our joy will be full and our lives will be miraculous. That is what's offered to us in this intimate friendship and partnership that John is writing about in 1 John. As we walk in the light, it says in 1 John 1, as he is in the light, as we live as Jesus lived. This is what's available to us. And this is what God wants us to have. So let's not shortchange ourselves. Let's not shortchange our redemption. Our redemption. Let's not shortchange the anointing on our lives. Not, let's not shortchange the gift of God that's in us. Let's not shortchange our covenant. There's more available to believers. There's more available to Christians than they've ever given themselves credit for or ever thought was available. There's so many things we've left on the table that God wants us to have in these days. And we have to live supernatural lives. We have to live miraculous lives because the world needs to see the miraculous power of God, not just in the life of some preachers, a few preachers, a few super spiritual people. No, the body of Christ must be miraculous. And it's not just for miracles in church, even though we should have miracles in church but it should be miracles flowing for people in the boardroom, miracles flowing for people in the classroom, miracles flowing from people in the marketplace, miracles flowing from people in a different arenas and different places, different industries and mountains of influence that wherever God's called you to be, whatever career he's called you to be in and wherever you live, you should be doing miracles. You say, well, what miracles? Whatever Jesus tells you to do. That was the example we talked about. He says, I say what I hear my father say, I do what I see him do. And so, yes, sometimes miracles are healing, but sometimes the, uh, the miracle is the God idea. It's what is the need at the moment? Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth who went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. Four, 
God was with him. Put your eyes on it. Go look at the scripture, Acts 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good, healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. One more time. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now, what did he use the anointing to do? To do good and to heal. So one thing about the miracles and ministry of Jesus, it's to do good and to heal. That phrase to do good is a philanthropic term. It's like we know people, you know, we think about millionaires and billionaires who are philanthropists and they give away a lot of money to fund really good causes. And I says, that's what Jesus used the anointing to do, to meet needs, to be a blessing. And that's what God wants you to be able to do with the anointing on your life, with what gift he's given you. And also to heal all those who oppress the devil. And so we know sickness is an oppression of the devil. But whatever form of oppression from darkness that somebody's on somebody's life that you encounter, Jesus wants to use you to heal them, to deliver them, to set them free from that oppression, no matter what that oppression is. And we live in a time where we see you know, the time is complicated. There's all these different forms of oppression, all these different names for it. But to sum it up, Jesus wants you to use you to do good and to heal. So if it's oppression, he wants to use you to get it off of people. If there's a need that needs to be met, he wants to use you to meet that need. Because when he uses you to meet that need, because you're remaining connected to Jesus and you let his words stay full in your heart, you're bringing glory to God and you're bearing much fruit. Because God is with you. Jesus promised he would never leave you nor forsake you. It's time to live like we actually believe what Jesus said. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe it encouraged you and is to help you make Jesus famous in your everyday life. We would love to be, stay connected with you. So subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our YouTube channel, download our Faith Plus app, and visit us at FCCGA.com to learn more about our ministry. If you would like to support our ministry financially, you can also do so by our website at FCCGA.com or by texting FCCGA to 73256. If you would like to submit a prayer request, you can do so at our website as well. We would love to agree with you in faith, and we know you'll receive an answer according to the Word of God. Once again, thank you for streaming this message. And remember, God has a great plan for your life, and something good is going to happen to you today. So expect miracles. God bless.